The following show is pre-recorded. Please, no calls at this time. From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line. With today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, Tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Welcome to a new week of EWTN's Open Line. Father John Tregilio is in the house. If you've got a question today, the number is 833-288-EWTN. Anything you want to know about the Catholic faith, 833-288-3986. If you're outside North America, fear not. We have a number for you. That one is one two zero five. 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line if you are outside of uh, the United States and Canada at 12052712985 you can always send us an email open line at ewtn.com or you can text your question text the letters ewtn to 55000 wait for a response text your first name and your question message and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Michael McCall doubling up on your social media efforts today. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Monday from the Mount, Father John Tregilio, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing better than I was on Friday. I had a tooth removed. Oh, well, that's no good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, I've had pretty good luck with dental situations throughout my lifetime. Mm. My, mom, my mom had terrible teeth. Uh, my dad, pretty good teeth, so I'm the beneficiary of that. But uh, I hope you're feeling better. You're better than Friday. <laughs> <laughs> he also gave me laughing gas. So, I <laughs> Oh, where was I? <laughs> All those questions that I've always wanted to ask you would have uh, come right. Well, the dentist is what really intrigued me. When I went to see the dentist who referred me to the oral surgeon, I went into his office, and he's a Catholic. There's a statue of St. Apollonia, who's the patron saint of dentists (laughs) and people with dental problems, and there's this statue of St. Apollonia with a bowl filled with teeth. (laughs) I said, this is spiritually edifying, but emotionally it's very intimidating. (laughs) Very good. All right, uh, we're starting to line up those phone calls, 833-288-EWTN. Gary writes in, During the Mass and before the Our Father, the priest says, At the Savior's command and informed by divine teaching, we dare to say. What are we being dared to say? (laughs) Why are we being dared to say the Our Father, he wants to know. Well, this is one of the wonderful tweaks that uh, Pope Benedict made to the uh, English translation of the uh, third edition of the Roman Missal. And I like that idea that we dare to say, uh, it's humbling for us to be able to say our Father. Um, It's something that we don't deserve. God adopted us purely out of love. So that idea that we dare to say, it's not that we are in fear and trepidation, but it's this idea of uh, fear of the Lord, reverential fear, that we should be filled with awe 
and that uh, we shouldn't just take it lightly that we can call God our Father. We've got we've got some clever emailers this week. Uh, I'm sure Steve, we do. <laughs> yeah, Steve wrote in and he said, "Why do we no longer say the word one in the collect as in one God forever and ever? Are there more gods now?" <laughs> no, <laughs> that is a more esoteric trend, a change that was made more recently uh, under Pope Francis, and it was uh, the English Commission on English and the Liturgy ISIL. Uh, and Vox Clara. Uh, again, there wasn't a lot of people who were getting confused when you said one God uh, because we understood it's three persons in one God. But I think uh, to make things more technically accurate and precise uh, because uh, it's not, the word one is, doesn't appear in other languages. So that's why we nixed the word one. <laughs> And here's a question that we, we had this on another uh, edition of EWTN's Open Line not too terribly long ago, but it, it probably bears repeating. Uh, Joan says, we know that our Blessed Mother was quote-unquote full of grace. The question is, did she also continue to receive extra grace from God throughout her life? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, we know that Mary was given that singular grace uh, at the moment of her conception in St. Anne's womb, we call the Immaculate Conception. And when the angel uh, addresses her, Kei in Greek or Gratia Plena in Latin, says you are full of grace. Uh, something that's full has no room for anything else. That's why she was without sin. Uh, we believe that she remained sinless from the first moment of her conception throughout her entire life. Um, did she get an increase of grace? Uh, the church has never solemnly defined, but I would say... Um, Certainly, you know, sanctifying grace, she always had possession of. Actual grace, the grace that empowers us to do good things, you can always get uh, an increase of. So uh, she most likely got an increase of actual grace, sanctifying grace she was always filled with. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Marco would like to know why the Sacrament of Reconciliation is not available to non-Catholics. It's not available, not as a punishment, but because uh, Catholics are bound by Catholic laws. And so like the precepts of the church, going to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days, fasting, abstaining on the church's uh, uh, laws of, of you know Fridays during Lent and Ash Wednesday, and all the obligations that are imposed upon uh, a Catholic, those are things which then they can uh, confess in the sacrament. We don't have jurisdiction over those who are not in full communion. So obviously a Protestant can't come into confession and say, I miss Mass, because they're not bound by that. They're not bound by the canonical form of being married by a priest or a deacon. So they can certainly you know, receive a blessing. They can talk to a priest or deacon for counseling. But the sacrament, um, one must be in full communion. That's why when a baptized Christian from another denomination comes into the church, uh, we say that they're brought into full communion, and you know they certainly they make their first confession, and then they're allowed to receive Holy Communion. They can be confirmed, uh, and so forth. So it's not a penal thing. It's this idea again. I use the analogy: if you want to vote in the United States, but you're a Canadian citizen, you have to become an American citizen in order yeah, to that's, vote. That's becoming a murkier, a murkier <laughs> and murkier analogy, my friend. Yes, well, <laughs> we're not talking about down south. <laughs> 
<laughs> but up north, they still have that procedure where if you want to run for office or if you want to, yeah, I'll stick away from the voting part. <laughs> if you want to run for public office, you have to be a citizen. And likewise, if you want to receive the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, uh, you must be in full communion. Just like to receive Holy Communion, you must be in full communion. To receive confirmation. So uh, it's a package deal. Uh, Brendan asks if the Eucharist is necessary for salvation. It's necessary for salvation once one realizes it, and you're in full communion again with the Catholic Church. Uh, this is something that you, you know you were, it was supposedly taught to you uh, if you're an adult and you came into full communion. As a child growing up, um, you know certainly we made that clear to kids when they're receiving their first communion. We reiterate it at their confirmation, and we tell people during every Sunday, hopefully reiterate that it's necessary because not only is it an increase of sanctified grace, but it's the reception of Jesus himself. And he says, you must eat my flesh, you must drink my blood. Here's one that I've never pondered myself. Uh, Scott would like to know, do children born through in vitro fertilization have souls? Yes. Anytime the egg is fertilized with the sperm and you have uh, the embryo, zygote, whatever you want to call it, that's a human being. Once that fertilization takes place, that's a unique, distinct uh, person. It's got an uh, immortal soul. And even though that person was conceived illicitly and immorally, they're still a human being. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Martin in Bristol, Tennessee, Pat in San Antonio, Texas, Mike in Spokane, Washington, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Once again, if you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email, open line at ewtn.com. Just put uh, Monday or Father John in the subject line. We'll get it to the appropriate location. And if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, just type a question into the chat window, and it may get to us by the end of the program. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, we're inviting you to join a deeper conversation about the most consequential issues facing Catholics today on EWTN News In-Depth with Monsi Alvarado. Uh, and you can even get EWTN News In-Depth directly delivered to your inbox with details on each week's show. Simply go to EWTN.com slash In-Depth and sign up today. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open lines for you at 833-288-3986. First up today is Celine, right here in Birmingham, Alabama, listening on Roku today. Celine, welcome to the program. You're on with Father John. Hello. How are you, Father and Jack? Go right ahead. Um, I have a question about uh, offering things up as a sacrifice. Can I offer up things after the fact? So, for example, if I I went through a bad period of my life in depression and I wasn't thinking about praying or offering things up, and then I come out of it, can I ask God to take that um, to either in reparation for myself or to help someone else after the fact? Uh, well, it's, um, <laughs> put your metaphysics hat on right off the bat, father. Um, I don't think it works necessarily retroactively. However, you can offer up your memories and bad, uh, experiences from the past. It's just that you can't offer up the actual, um, spiritual benefit you would have acquired had you offered up while it was happening or before it happened. But after the fact, which we call ex post facto, you can still make an offering because you still have some um, unpleasant memories and um, maybe some residual from what happened there. And uh, certainly you can offer up that you endured that, but uh, it's not like um, a bank account where you can go backwards, to fix uh, a bad check, so to speak. But, it, but I don't want you to think that there's nothing you can do. So you certainly can offer up what you're going through right now. And thank God that you got through that period. And, um, you know, there'll be some spiritual benefit, of course. It won't be the same as, that's why it's good every day to make in your morning offering that you will offer up everything that happens to you that day. And if you do that every day, then you're covered. God bless you, Celine. We appreciate the phone call today. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Anna in Los Angeles, California. Uh, listening today on YouTube. Anna, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Yes, uh, Father, good afternoon. Hello. Yes, Father, good afternoon. Go right ahead, Anna. Yes. I have a question because I, I, I used to have a friend. Uh, she used to be a Catholic, and she joined another religion. And one day I happened to, to talk to her and ask her, about the Holy Spirit. I asked her whether she still believes in the Holy Spirit, and she said no. She said she doesn't believe in Holy Spirit. And so sadly that she passed away, I learned that she passed away. And my, my question is, what happens to her soul now? Is she forgiven? Okay, well, we, we, we always give the benefit of the doubt because we don't know why someone makes such uh, a bad decision. There's sometimes we call it invincible ignorance where a person doesn't know all the facts. And certainly when sometimes when someone leaves the church, they leave for more emotional reasons, uh, personal reasons, and then they casually discard the doctrines of the faith. But for you to be liable uh, for what you do, you have to consciously, deliberately, and freely do that. So if she turned her back on the Holy Spirit, 
she is turning her back on God because God is, you know, we just celebrated the Feast of the Holy Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So to be a Christian, you must not only believe that Jesus Christ is God, but also the Holy Spirit and God the Father are God. Um, but since we don't know the exact uh, state of her mind and her uh, heart when she did this, I would certainly offer prayers for her, have masses said for her, and commend her to the mercy of God. But in the meantime, if you ever run into someone who is still alive, you certainly want to try to encourage them without um, you know, harassing them and say, please, you, know, you really need to think about this, pray about it, because this is for their eternal welfare. Does that help, Anna? Yes. And should I continue praying for her? Good. Yes, very good. Thank you, Anna. We appreciate the phone call. Anna was a first-time listener, by the way, there in Los Angeles. Wide open phone lines for you. Give us a call. Pick up the phone, 833-288-EWTN, with any of your questions about the Catholic faith. For Father John Tregilio, 833-288-3986. Ronald has sent us an email from Covington, Louisiana. He's taking you to task, Father John. He says, someone asked if angels can share in the divine nature, and he gives you the benefit of the doubt. He says, I think Father may have missed the question. St. Peter says that we can partake of the divine nature through our union with Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, are the angels non-participants in this divination? Or divinization, well, excuse me. I mean, it's an analogous uh, explanation. St. John Chrysostom talks about us being divinized by Christ, but in a metaphysical sense, we have a human nature, angels have a angelic nature, and God has a divine nature, and they're very distinct. Uh, but we are sanctified, certainly when we're baptized and we have the indwelling of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're made a child of God, sanctifying grace, but, uh, you know... It, by analogy, you could say, yes, we share in the divine nature insofar as we're made in the image and likeness of God. But from a metaphysical, philosophical, and theological standpoint, we are distinct from God because that would be a form of, of pantheism that we're all part of God. But it doesn't mean that, I mean, obviously, God's grace, we have his created grace, his uncreated grace, actual grace, sanctifying grace. These are all ways in which we, in a sense, participate in the divine nature. But uh, I would be very careful to not have people think that we become God uh, in that regard. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 Kay writes in, I was raised Catholic and then was married in the Methodist Church. My husband is Methodist and doesn't want our marriage convalidated in the Catholic Church. Will I be denied confession and communion forever? No, you, do, you will not. If you do this, very easy thing, contact your parish priest or deacon or diocese, because if your husband refuses to have the marriage convalidated, it still can be remedied. Uh, it's called um, Sonatio in Radice. It comes from the bishop himself, directly from his office. The parish priest or deacon can help you with that. And it applies in cases where a Catholic marries a non-Catholic, and the non-Catholic refuses to 
exchange their vows before a priest or deacon. So that is a way of, of having that corrected. And then you could obviously receive all the sacraments. Annie says, my question is about the about Mary's assumption. Did Mary die and then was raised into heaven, or was she raised into heaven while she was still alive? We don't know. <laughs> That's the easy answer. Thanks for nothing, Father. <laughs> now, in the Eastern Orthodox and the Eastern Catholic tradition, they speak of the dormition of Mary. Mary's falling asleep. Uh, in the Western or Latin rite, we've never defined it as a dogma that Mary uh, biologically died. Uh, because she certainly would have been exempt because of uh, in the exception, she did not inherit um, original sin. However, I think it was like St. John Paul the Great uh, and a couple of other great profound thinkers and theologians said that it's, it's probable that Mary willingly participated uh, in embracing death because obviously she embraced her sorrows, which, you know, because again, of the Immaculate Conception, she didn't have to, but she freely chose to. Our, our divine Lord Jesus allowed her to do that. So if she died or did not die, either way, it doesn't destroy our firm dogma of the assumption. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Give us a call at 833-288-3986. John says, I understand that the Catholic Church teaches that at the consecration, the elements of the Eucharist become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. How can a soul and divinity be confined in a substance, given that both are immaterial? <laughs> That's very good. Uh, it, it, again, it's, it's, it's an analogy, okay? Uh, certainly the body and blood, the substances of Jesus' body and blood uh, are what the, the, the bread and the, the substance of the bread and wine become the substances of the body and blood of Christ, but also his soul and divinity, and that that's truly a person there. And Jesus is not dead. He died but Friday, but then he rose from the dead. So when you and I go to communion, we're not receiving dead flesh or dead blood. We're receiving risen, uh, a risen Christ and in his, in his fullness. So that's why in one species you receive both. And uh, so if you receive one drop of the precious blood, you're receiving as much Holy Communion as if you receive one part of the host or if you receive both. So when we say body, blood, soul, and divinity, um, it's a way of expressing and emphasizing the fact that it is the, the person of Christ that we are receiving. Uh, a couple of open phone lines still here for you at 833-288-EWTN. We'd love to have you occupy one of those. We'll talk to Magdalena straight ahead, and uh, hopefully we will talk to you as well. That toll-free number anywhere in the United States, 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love a call from you today. That number is one 201 2985. And if you are outside of the United States and Canada, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985. And you can always send us an email. The email address is openline at ewtn.com. That's openline, all one word, at ewtn.com. And put Monday or Father Tregilio in the subject line, 
and we'll get that to the appropriate folder, and that question may be part of an upcoming program here on EWTN's Open Line Monday. May even be on today's program if you send that email right now. The number is 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Two lines left open. Pick one of them up now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Magdalena. She is a first-time caller driving through the Republic of Texas, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Magdalena, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Uh, hello, Father. Um, it's so nice to um, to uh, listen to you on the radio. I'm traveling. Uh, I have a question. Um, I spoke with a uh, nurse who works uh, on a cardiac unit with uh, women who have suffered from congestive heart failures, and some of them um, gotten pregnant. And I tried to persuade her that abortion is wrong every time, but she says, well, what do you do in a, in the case of uh, women like that, that they're almost uh, cannot make it on their own, and what about, you know, if, they, if they're pregnant, they, they might die. So I didn't know exactly how to answer that. Okay, well, that, that's a fair question, and according to Catholic moral theology, first and always, foremost, uh, the ends never justifies the means, so you can't kill the, the mother or the baby to save the other one. At the same time, you can do what's normally uh, expected, normal um, procedures, normal means, as we would say, ordinary means. For instance, if a woman's pregnant and while she's carrying the baby, uh, she has a heart issue and they have to go in and do heart surgery and that then causes the baby to go into premature labor, uh, that's okay because uh, if, if the baby doesn't survive, uh, it's considered natural causes that the doctor did not directly cause the baby to come out prematurely. It was a condition uh, of them operating on the mother. And if they didn't operate on the mother, both baby and mother uh, would, uh, would, would die. But you can never go in and directly kill the baby, whether it's the first moment of conception or anywhere throughout the gestation period of nine months, and certainly not afterwards. Um, a lot of doctors I talk to uh, who are... Um, obstetricians, and that tell me that it's a very rare occasion where uh, a mother who's with child who has, may have a heart condition, they say, you know, you have to choose uh, you want your baby to live or not, because it's very rare that that would ever present itself, and it's not something that is actually uh, biologically um, limited to that, because there's always something they can do. As long as you do not directly kill the mother or the child, you can do all things that are possible, but once a woman's pregnant, you can't say, well, I'm sorry, your, your, you know, your health isn't that good. Um, I've seen a lot of mothers who had many health issues or even had um, something as dangerous as, as cancer. Uh, they decided to carry the baby to term. Many of them survived. You've got someone like St. John Amola who willingly sacrificed herself. And I, I've met her daughter. 
you know, she's she's a wonderful person, and if it wasn't for her mother's sacrifice, you know, she wouldn't be alive today. Does that help, Magdalena? Yes, very much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. We appreciate your phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. We head next to the great state of Indiana. Adrian is a first-time caller listening on Redeemer Radio. Adrian, you're on with Father John. Thank you, Father John, for taking my call. Can you hear me? Sure, yes. Uh, my question is, uh, our dead relatives, are they able to see what we do in our daily lives, just our tasks? And also, if... Assuming, like, let's say, a cousin of mine died thinking that I'd done something um, bad or talked about him, uh, would he know now that he's dead that I would never meant any harm or never talked about him behind his back? Yes. Um, we believe, and this is not dogma, but it's certainly very good, solid uh, theological um, teaching, that uh, because the, the, the faithful departed, whether they're the souls in purgatory or even the saints in heaven. They don't have a physical body. So the way that you and I know things is through our body, our eyes, our, our ears, you know, all our five senses. So in the in before the resurrection of the dead, the question is, well, how how would the dead know anything? And we believe that God infuses knowledge into them because we believe in the communion of saints. So the only way the saints in heaven could pray for us is that they would know what our requests are. And the only way that they could know that is that God shares it with them. So we believe that the, the dead uh, receive this infusing of knowledge, and certainly your your um, brother or brother-in-law or, or whatever relative, you I forget the relationship, but um, he would be, as soon as he died, if he's in purgatory, he's in heaven, but uh, I believe even if he, God forbid, was in hell, he would know what reality is. And certainly the fact that you never did uh, do anything or that you didn't intend anything wrong would be made known to them. So it's not that they, they float around in some vacuum, uh, unconscious or unaware. Uh, this is part of the communion of saints, that they're united, and by God's special providence, he shares that knowledge with them. Does that make you feel better, Adrian? Oh, definitely. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for the call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Pam is in Colorado. She's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Pam, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I was just wondering, why is it when Jesus came back from the dead, it seemed like nobody recognized him, and like Doubting Thomas had to actually put his hands, you know, on Jesus's, um, you know, where he had been crucified and show, you know, it seems like Jesus was always trying to show who he was and why didn't anybody recognize him? That's an excellent question that theologians have been pondering for over 2,000 years. Uh, all we can figure out is that uh, the resurrected body is slightly different. It's the same, but there, there's some difference because obviously Mary Magdalene she goes to the empty tomb and she thinks Jesus is the, you know, uh, the gardener. And then when he calls her by name, she recognizes him. Uh, it's at the breaking of the bread uh, when the disciples from Emmaus recognize him. Um, Thomas, uh, you know, uh, when he sees Jesus and says, you know, touch my hands and feet, then he believes. 
So there's an aspect of the resurrected body that's beyond our comprehension. So it's not that, G and Jesus certainly wants to show that he's not a ghost. So it's not a phantasm. It's not a, a, a you know, something that's fooling their, their minds or something like that. Because he eats fish with them. He sits and he wants Thomas to touch him, physically touch him. And so there are many cases where Jesus wants to show his apostles he's not a ghost. But at the same time, faith has to be a part of this. So it's people of faith who recognize Christ. Because the word recognize, recognito, means to know again. And you can't recognize someone you never knew before. So the apostles knew Jesus when he was alive. And then they, they see him in his resurrected body. And now they recognize him. How's that, Pam? That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open phone lines. It's still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. A big congratulations to longtime EWTN radio family members celebrating their 12th anniversary with us this week. Air Maria Radio Network has three stations serving Owego, New York, uh, New Bedford, Massachusetts, and Bloomington, Indiana. Our thanks to Friar John Mary and everybody at Air Maria. Congratulations. Uh, John is next up. He is in the Commonwealth of Virginia listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. John, you are on with Father John. Uh, how are you doing, Father? Um, I've been on kind of a reading uh, binge the last couple of years. Uh, it's uh, amazing how much I've read. Um, but uh, I read last year, I read Blessed Catherine Emmerich's uh, Complete Works, and now I've dived into uh, Venerable Mar Maria Vergreta, The Mystical City of God, which, as you know, is a big, <laughs> a big work. So I'm just wondering the distinction of Venerable and Blessed and Saint uh, as it pertains to these uh, uh, people from the church and, and how important their teachings are in, in, in these writings uh, when there's a distinction of saint, blessed, or venerable. Okay. Well, um, there's a very strict classification difference uh, when we talk about uh, as someone is on the road to being canonized as saint, and then, and then they're called officially saint. Uh, before that, they're called the servant of God, and then uh, if they can establish, um, you know, more evidence, they would become venerable. But to be beatified, you need at least one miracle. And if you have a second miracle, and this is after death, then they can be canonized a saint by the Pope. Now, that doesn't mean that the terms haven't been used a little uh, casually, because like Venerable Bede is Saint Bede, but he was called Venerable for so long that people still refer to him as Venerable Bede. But if you're a Venerable, if you're a servant of God, if you're a blessed or even a saint, it doesn't mean that everything of your writings has the same weight uh, as sacred scripture or sacred tradition. There's only one uh, public revelation, and that's from those two sources, sacred scripture and sacred uh, tradition. Um, private revelation, okay, certainly is helpful, but it can never contradict, and it's never the same um, importance or significance of public revelation. So when you're reading, uh, you could read one of the saints and, you know, they might be off on a few things or you might find them very encouraging and inspiring. The church just wants us to know that, um, you know, it's better to put more emphasis on public revelation and then in the private revelation, see it as auxiliary, ancillary. 
It's something that's helpful, but it can never take the place it's not in competition with. And you don't want to think that, well, this person's a saint, therefore their writings are more important than a beatified person, and their writings are more important than a venerable. Uh, it doesn't necessarily work that way. There's not a hierarchy of, of, of writings. Uh, the, the title saint or blessed uh, refers to their personal holiness. It does not, it's not like a good housekeeping seal of approval on everything they've ever ever written or said, though. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still time for your calls and a couple of open lines at 833-288-3986. Next up is Kayla in New York City, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Kayla, welcome to the program. You're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. My name is Kayla. So my question today is, what do you do in a situation where you are pregnant before marriage and you have a very Christian family who is not handling it too well. Okay, so you're praying before marriage and uh, the question is what what should you do? Yes, that is correct. I have a family who is reacting very non-Christian. Okay. And they are not happy with me. Okay, well, uh, doing God's will is much more important than you know, keeping our family happy or, or pleased, even though we're very, very close to our family, we love our family. I know there's a lot of pressure to keep the family members, you know, on our side. It's much more important because your salvation depends on uh, pleasing God than pleasing them. And certainly respecting uh, human life, especially innocent human life. Uh, it's the same as if, you know, not only if a woman's with child, but let's say you've got a mother or father who's um, completely um, has dementia and they wanted and someone at the hospital or nursing home wants them to do you know euthanasia you have to say no even though there may be pressure to do that and there may be pressure for someone who's unmarried and with child to, you know to have an abortion say no I have to choose life I have to do what's right in the eyes of God even though there may be some blowback there may be some opposition um, you know I just watched the other day on on television there are a couple of People out in the in, a new in the news world on television who were children born out of wedlock and their mothers were pressured to get an abortion and they said no and they said they're 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 very grateful that their mother chose life it wasn't easy and they got no support but the mothers I mean I saw just on TV the other day it was, it was an, um, a person on one of the news channels and his mother was on TV and she said. I'm glad I chose to keep you and that you're alive. And he says, so am I, Mom. Does that help, Does that help Kayla? <clears throat> yeah, I think that is very helpful. It is just very hard when you have, you know, one thing and you want to do right, but it's not right to everyone else. Yeah. So I feel yes. like I'm being very pressured between, oh, yeah. you know, my choice and my family's choice and, you know, just the religion aspect of it being more of a, stressor than anything it's not really what i want it's what what right for the religion rather than me yes well you know every most dioceses have some support groups out there uh one of them is rachel's vineyard there's a lot of places that through catholic charities but through your diocese that might be able to be a, a support for you in this particular situation so i would contact either your local parish or your diocese you know, just to, it, it might encourage you just a little bit, Kayla. First of all, uh, you, you've you've made a heroic choice already, 
and you'll certainly be rewarded for all eternity for that choice that you've made uh, to this point. But I'm, I have plenty of white hair now, as does Father Trujillo. We are of the same vintage. And uh, I remember when I was in college, we had a young lady uh, who found herself in a similar situation. And one thing that she said that always stuck with me is she said, you know, the circumstances surrounding this pregnancy may have not been all that I should have allowed them to be. But she said, one thing that I do know for sure is that having a baby is not a sin. Absolutely. God bless you, Kayla. And one thing you've done here is you'll have a bunch of people praying for you. Uh, and we will certainly keep you in our prayers here at EWTN Radio. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Uh, we head next to the great state of Michigan. Carol is in Michigan listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Carol, a first-time caller, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hi, Father. So my question is with regards to the um, prayer, praying of the Our Father through, during Mass, and why do we not say amen at the end? <laughs> well, I, that, that's a good question. I, I got it once when I was teaching third grade religion. <laughs> I said to the kid at first, I don't know. <laughs> I had to look it up. Um, the reason why we well, don't you'll, say— Well, you get a lot—I bet people would be surprised at some of the insightful questions you get in third-grade religion, huh? Oh, they do. They're like little theologians uh, in pray <laughs> there. Um, there's no theological reason why we don't say amen at the at the Mass. The, the funny thing is, when people when we say the Our Father like at the Rosary or outside of Mass, people are so used to not saying amen that they don't do it. And that's the time you would do it, is when you're praying the Rosary— but in the Mass, the Amen is part of that embolism that, that is, uh, we say afterwards, the King of Glory are yours, that um, many Protestant uh, Christians attach as part of uh, the Lord's Prayer. But th that's always been a liturgical thing uh, to um, postpone the Amen, so to speak. But it's only during Mass. It's just like the prayer position. Um, you know, the faithful are, are asked to keep their hands folded, not in the Oron's position and not holding hands. But you could do you could do that outside of mass when you're praying to our Father as as a group or privately. It's just during mass we have certain restrictions or regulations on on gestures and also on the words and how the, you know when they're when they're said. So uh, during the mass, yeah, we, we postpone the amen. But when you're praying it outside, it, it should be the it's a way of saying yes, I believe. Does that help at all, Carol? that it's attached um, that helps uh, to clear that up a bit. It's attached at the other, the, the following verses. I had a quick, um, another quick comment I sure. wanted to make, Father. I feel like um, when we address the Virgin Mary as a group or individually, people call her um, Mary. Now, personal, it's just a personal I don't know, maybe a personal preference to me. I do not say that. I can't call her Mary. I have a problem with that. I call her Blessed Mother all the time. We don't call our earthly mothers by their first names, do we? No, I'm, and, and that's a lot of the saints, uh, you know, concur with you. It's not, it's not improper or you're not being disrespectful because um, it's, it's part of sacred scripture from the Luke's gospel, the Hail Mary, okay? We say Hail Mary full of grace, 
Um, you know, so using Mary's proper name in the proper context uh, of a prayer uh, is okay. But like you said, for devotional purposes, when you're speaking to her extemporaneously yourself, I agree with you. I, I feel uncomfortable. I wouldn't say when I'm talking to Mary by myself, I'm going to say Blessed Mother or Our Lady or anything like that. Just like if I ever dared, if I would have called my mother by her first name, I'd be missing teeth. All right. Um, but when you do use Mary's proper name in a prayer, you're doing something that's been sanctioned by the church. So you don't have to worry that you're doing something wrong when you're doing it that way. Still time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Roger's watching on YouTube. He wants to know, is tax evasion a mortal sin or a venial sin? I see many theologians conflicted on the matter. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2240, says it is a moral obligation to pay taxes. Yes, a moral obligation, but there are other moral obligations. So what constitutes uh, a mortal sin has to be grave matter, full consent of the will, and serious, uh, I mean, the sufficient knowledge. Um, I think the theologians, it depends on uh, to what degree, right, someone is uh, cheating on their taxes. If they're doing this habitually, certainly that would be more, could be much more um, likely that it's a mortal sin, uh, it, depending on how much, um, how much an, an injustice it is. If somebody is doing it for, um, you know, wrong reasons, but their their moral thinking is not as straight as it should be, um, it may be not sufficient enough for the reach the level of moral sin. So the church does not make a uh, unequivocal statement saying that all tax evasion is mortal sin. However, uh, in many cases, it could be and is. It depends on, again, if you're a very, very rich person and, you know, you cheat a few dollars here, uh, that's not okay. But obviously, you know, the severity is going to be compounded by the amount, but also your particular situation. If you're poor or low income and you cheat, that's just as bad as someone who's rich and, and cheats. Um, but then again, there's uh, all these other circumstances. So I would say it's best not to do it. <laughs> uh, morally speaking, give the Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And uh, remember, um, Uncle Sam is keeping an eye. <laughs> uh, be sure to join us for The Doctor is In tomorrow afternoon and every afternoon Monday through Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Dr. Ray takes calls and talks about family, marriage, and relationships. That's The Doctor is In 1 p.m. Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio. Roxanne on YouTube wants to know, can we as Catholics wear a veil to Mass? Are there any rules with it? No, you more certainly can wear a veil if you're, if you're a, a woman. I know it's it's not obligate it's not obligatory as it was once in the past. So if you wear a veil, that's your own personal choice. Um, I personally, you know, think it's it's edifying. Um, when I was in, in Catholic grade school, the girls had to wear it, and if they didn't have a veil, sister would rent one to them for five cents. And if they didn't <laughs> have the, um, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, they would have to put a Kleenex on their head. That um, was that strict back then. Um, we've, we're, we have not at that point anymore. And friends of mine who are in the fraternity of St. Peter say they do not go down that road. They let the women decide, do you want to wear a veil? Again, it's very edifying, but it's not mandated. So if you're not going to wear the veil, fine. 
and my mother used to wear hats she, instead of a veil. A veil, she always wore a hat instead. Um, but again, it, it, these are um, disciplinary things which can change with the church. And just because the church says it's no longer mandatory doesn't mean it's it's not optional. Yeah, very good. In just a couple minutes we have left here. Stephanie says she's heard a few times from you, Father John. Two points. The battle between the angels and the fallen angels happened before the creation of man and once entered into heaven, and it is impossible to leave. These two facts together leave me confused about angelic messengers in the Bible. If two-thirds of the angels that join God in heaven cannot leave, how do guardian angels and angels mentioned in the Bible interact with us on earth? Is it due to their purely spiritual nature, which allows them to not leave heaven yet still be involved with humanity? Yes. <laughs> Uh, in heaven, we call the beatific vision, seeing God face to face. So to say that the angels never leave heaven, it's not a physical location as such because angels don't have bodies. They don't have a physical body. You and I do, and at the resurrection of the dead, of course, Jesus in his incarnation and the Blessed Mother because of her assumption, they've got a physical location in, 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 in that regard. But angels do not take up space. So the fact that two-thirds of the angels did not go bad meant that they were they went into heaven it's a figure of speech they got the beatific vision and that can never be taken from them the one third that went bad who went to hell again it's not a geographical location it just means they will never see god face to face and so the angels who walk this earth or do god's uh, work like the guardian angels and like gabriel and, and raphael um that's a metaphysical um, experience but it's not a location in time and space as you and I know it. And very quickly, just in the next 10 seconds, Gary wants to know, can you live a holy life without a spiritual director? Yes, but it's advisable to get one anyway. It's like you can live without vitamins, you can live without many things, but it's advisable if you can to get a spiritual director. Would you leave us with a blessing, Father? Absolutely. Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, Ephesians, and Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Monday. We're back at it again tomorrow talking faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes on EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Until we get together then, God bless.